welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, one of my favorite songwriters ever, Michael Cronin of, of you know, solo fame, of playing with Ty Seagal, and a whole whack of other bands, as we will get to in one moment. But first, if you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, there is an email address run by my brother and show producer. Thank you very much for that, Tristan Abraham. And you can find that email address at turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. He also runs a Facebook page. You can send him messages, and he'll get the message to me, and we can communicate that way. If you want to find me directly, you can find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien, F-O-R-D-A-M-I-A-N. Uh, if you'd like to support this show, the best way to support this show is by telling all your friends, letting everyone you know, know that you enjoy this podcast and, and you would like them to enjoy it too. Uh, speaking of support, though, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans and House of Vans. Vans came aboard a couple years ago and said... Like literally, like said to me, we don't want you to do this out of your pocket. Here's some money so you can you can do it uh, and not lose money doing it. And I really appreciate that. And they fly me all over the place. And they've got house of vans parties that happen all over. And yeah, it's awesome. I get to book whoever I want, <laughs> and they just you know let me do it, not losing money. So thank you, vans, for coming back on board and and just being here for me. Uh, and and thank you to all of you for being here for this show too. And if you'd like to find other ways to express the support of the show, you can do so by writing a review and rating it on your podcast listening platform of choice. And if you really want to find a way to support the show, we also have the, uh, the Patreon. Now there's a patreon.com slash turn a punk. There's a, a Patreon page where we have footnotes with myself and Chris O'Toole. There's merch going out from there. There's all sorts of stuff. So go check out that Patreon and thank you. Huge thank you to all the people out there that have supported the Patreon already because it's it's humbling to know you care about the show that much. It really is. And I and I can't yeah, I can't thank you all enough. Um and that's it. Okay. Updates on the show, The Wrestlers, a TV show that I made about pro wrestling. Look at pro wrestling, looking at pro wrestling all over the world. It is now on Crave in Canada. It's on various streaming services in America, in Australia, in New Zealand, in the UK, in Benelux, in in all sorts of places. And I can't thank any everyone <laughs> enough for the kind words about the show and getting in touch and talking to me about the show. I, I really do appreciate it. And, and that's it. And now on to today's show today on the show, we have a, a former cruise mate of mine with the one time that we both, I think, I think both of us, the one time that we did this, we, we played a cruise from Miami to the Bahamas. And I'm talking about Michael Cronin, a guy who has an unbelievable catalog of of great songs and great albums and, and unbelievable collaborations. And yeah. So someone I've wanted to have on the show for, for years, I can remember trying to get this to happen years and years ago. And you know what? It finally happens. Now that we're on the same record label, you know, these, these things move along a lot quicker, I think. Well, also it's probably has nothing to do with me being a scatterbrain too, but whatever it was, it now has finally happened. So I'm not going to ramble on anymore. 
sit back, relax, and enjoy Michael Cronin on Turned Out a Punk. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Well, as I was just telling you off air, it's great to reconnect with my my former shipmate, my current <laughs> label mate, and yeah. I, I can't wait to uh, dive into an, a previously unknown connection between you and myself to one Teen Anger and Television Explosion Records, but oh, we'll, yeah. we will dive into all that in a second. I had no idea. I had no idea when I first met you that that was a connection, too. But I got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, Michael, how'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I guess I, it, I, I wouldn't really call them a punk band, but I think like the first punk energy that I experienced was, uh, I was, I was about ten years old, and I heard Nirvana for the first time. Um, so, I mean, of course, uh, of course, by the time I heard them, they weren't, they weren't anywhere near a punk band either, but that was the first time I heard like high energy kind of, uh, kind of fuck you rock, um, that kind of, kind of snuck me into like, uh, you know, like I was, I was, uh, I was born in 85. So the time, by the time I was 15 was about like 1990. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was, and at the time I was, I was really into like skateboarding. And so I kind of got into like skate punk and whatever, uh, you know, like whatever, whatever I could find on skate videos and stuff. And, uh, but so I mean, there was there was a lot of like there was a lot of pop punk stuff, kind of Southern California pop punk stuff. Um, I, like you, you don't consider Nirvana a punk band? I mean, I I do. Yeah, I, I do I don't, too. Definitely. Okay, good. Then I'm glad we're on the same page about that. Yeah, yeah they yeah. they absolutely have. I have a pretty loose definition of punk in general. I think that uh, I definitely through the show have gained a much looser definition of punk, but I. I kind of think it's it's much cooler to look at it as a big picture genre than narrow it casting it. So yeah, I definitely and Nirvana comes directly from it. Like you know, they they still yeah. profess punk band. Yeah, yeah, they're. I mean, they seem to be a punk band thrown into a crazy situation. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Totally. A hundred percent. And they were they were huge. I they were huge for me. They kind of they kind of definitely shifted shifted everything when I was like ten, eleven. I had a, a cool. Both my parents worked, so I, I had a. But I had this cool babysitter guy, or uh, you know, we weren't babies, but he would kind of drive us home from school and stuff. Um, so I guess, I guess I was about nineteen, you know, like uh, ninety-five or so, ninety-six. Um, so it was just just after their just after their run. Um, so he was, that's kind of all he listened to. So, um, that's all I, I went from there. Kind of, I, I never, I didn't grow up with a lot of like even rock music at all. Um, I grew up with a lot of like my, uh, my mom's a classical musician. So mm. I, I grew up with a lot of that in the house. 
Um, and yeah, Nirvana kind of shifted, shifted my thinking for sure. Was there like a resentment of rock and roll or just like, it was just something that wasn't around from, I mean, from not from yourself, but I mean, from your parents, because I know just from other people that have been on whose parents are musicians, they talk about how they're, you know, they, you know, especially if there were musicians outside of rock music or pop music based music at just how that just wasn't something that was around the house. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there was like a direct resentment so much, maybe like a lack, maybe just kind of like a lack of understanding or, you know, like my, I know my mom was, I got all her old Beatles records, for okay. example, like, and, uh, and she, she kind of got into the, the kinks again later in life and stuff like that. You know, like mm-hmm. she's very, very melodic focused. Um, so I think, I think anything with anything with more melody was kind of up her alley. Um, yeah. So what instrument did she play or does she play? Sorry. She plays, she plays piano and harp. Whoa, like wow. the full sized harp. Yeah. yeah. Did you grow up with a harp in the house? Yeah. Are they, those yeah. are crazy hard to maintain, right? Oh, you know, there's, there's a uh, one, one recently exploded. Oh, what? one exploded a few years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you can imagine it's like a, a lot high pressure, old wood. Yeah. So, and just kind of, you know, handmade. So she, uh, she inherited one from her, from her teacher when she was a kid uh well i think she started when she was when she was a young teen or even earlier Mm -hmm. um so she inherited that old harp and it uh it was just sitting there and just popped you know wow like the soundboard just popped (laughs) so um i think i think they're really temperamental with weather and stuff but i mean i didn't see her tinkering around on it a lot it's just um, I hear our, her, her current harp, I guess has a soundboard problem too. So I don't know. Yeah. You can imagine they're kind of weird to maintain hard to find somebody to work on them at least. Yeah. Like I think that would be probably the most difficult instrument to tour. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you don't see it a lot. Well, does uh, it like, is it Joanna Newsom that does the harp or plays the harp? Yeah. Harp? Yeah. Um, I've, I've never seen her. I've never, I've never like seen her backstage. I wonder what kind of case she has for it. (laughs) Like when she was touring in a van, was it on top of the van? I think probably (laughs) like, okay, we need to make room for the base cab and then the (laughs) giant harp case. (laughs) Yeah. It's always the base cab. That's the problem until you got always Joanna and your, uh, until Joanna Newsom joins your van. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh God, I would take two base cabs instead of this thing. Uh, so i guess like you know other than it not being necessarily a lot of rock music around the house you did grow up in a musical household yeah yeah um at least with like musical a musical uh you know like a mind towards music it was always around she was Mm -hmm. constantly constantly playing she's still it's still whenever i visit my parents that's you know it's what she mainly does and uh yeah, I, I I appreciated having the the music. We we got started. Me and my siblings got started pretty early on like piano lessons, and uh, for me, eventually like a saxophone when I was around ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, then other instruments when I was a teen. But 
really supportive in that way. Uh, just any any music coming out is, uh, you know, starting out a good thing. At least at least we can connect on like they didn't, you know, my my parents just didn't necessarily understand my my first bands, my my early punk bands. Like mm-hmm. it just sounded like garbage to them. Yeah. Of course. But, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, at least at least there was like a. Uh, a background of support or, a, you know, at least it's, it's, it's in, it's in there somewhere. And, uh, yeah. So where did you go from, you know, hearing Nirvana in the back of your, uh, your minders car? Um, I, I kind of went down the, I guess, you know, I kind of, I kind of got into punk through pop punk, uh, like, skate punk i i was huge into offspring um i was huge into like social distortion descendants no effects uh a green day honestly was was um you know it was it was all over the place when i was when i was like an impressionable teen mm-hmm. so uh and i you know i didn't i didn't really have like a uh I didn't have an older brother or anything that was into punk music. Uh, it was, it was kind of, I was kind of just like searching around on my own until I was, until I was in high school or so, or found some, found some buddies to like, to find punk with. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, I think it was, I think it was from the background of like, maybe even the, the classical music, running around my head where it was it was at first it was i connected more with like the melodic side of it you know like heavy bands that were heavy the singing singing harmonies and like that that side of it and then and then eventually eventually and and just the energy of it all like like i said about nirvana just like the uh there, there's something you can't quite put your finger on mm-hmm. as far as as far as why it's connecting, but it's uh, yeah, just just the uh, I think I was angstier than I remember, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, I know, I know that feeling. Well, yeah. like at the time, was that kind of epithet stuff? Was that like were a lot of kids into that around you? Like, was yeah, that, was that hitting? Because I guess that's like where it's from. Yeah, exactly. Um, like my my first my first real rock concert was Warp Tour, for example. Yeah, no, same um, here. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> mine was down in San Diego. Uh, I can't remember if it was ninety nine or two thousand, but um, that was your first ever concert, or just punk concert specifically? First, first punk concert, first okay. first rock concert for sure. Um, I, I I don't remember I my my parents never went out my family in general never went out to music when I was when I was a kid except for except for like gigs my mom was doing mm-hmm. um, so that that was a really that was a really early one um, and that that whole scene of that whole like brand of pop punk um, you know it was in it was in like the skate videos I was watching it was it was in it was like a Southern California soundtrack mm-hmm. to a certain extent. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, it's amazing when you look back on it now, like, you know, how many of those bands were like charting? How many bands were selling like tons of CDs? Like it really was, you know, for a lot of kids, like sort of the dominant subversive youth culture for a while. And that's, you know, even, even up here. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, it was huge. It was like the, it was, it was the only thing I really knew as far as punk music until, you know, I got a little older and savvier and like started looking, looking into their influences Mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. where that came from. Um, but yeah, it was a good soundtrack for just like a little, a little shithead skateboarding around (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Who were some of the bands you saw that first Warped Tour that like stood out to you that day? Do you remember? I was trying to remember. I, I want to, I want to say the offspring were there though. I'm not entirely, I can't exactly remember, but, uh, maybe I, it was like AFI, the Ataris, uh, no effects was there, uh, you know, flogging Bali Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, I remember, yeah, I, I remember seeing like an overwhelming amount of bands cause I'd never really been to a festival before <laughs> Yeah, and just being completely overwhelmed in general. I had, I had a, I had a broken arm. I had like a full arm cast. Uh, and I remember getting into, getting to the, to the edge of a pit watching, I want to say AFI or something, and then getting a full, you know, I was, I was 14, I think, and I got a full beer poured down my cast like in in between the skin and the cast that just reeked of beer for like for at least a week when i came back to school just and it was just brown all of a sudden and like it it was it was a mess it was that guy left quite an impression on me he was a he's a big guy who who had already had a few did you do it deliberately or it was an accident you know i can't I can't tell, you know, it wasn't, I think, I think he got bumped, but okay. it was the full beer. Yeah. Like you, know? you, you, you would have had to keep pouring at a certain point. You would have. <laughs> yeah. And it seemed like his aim was true. Like right, right in the, right in the crack there. Yeah. Uh, but what an but asshole. Yeah, that, what an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> Just imagine like, he definitely didn't apologize. No. But imagine just spilling a full beer on a 14 year old. And like, yeah, like it's gotta be, you know, like uh, to go to the warp tour as your very first concert, like looking back on it now, like, you know, I'd, I'd actually been to a couple other things first, but that was like my first, I look at it as being something completely different. And it was just because it was such a weird mixing ground of like, you know, children hanging mm-hmm. out with like, like really kind of irresponsible adults. Like, <laughs> yeah. Just. I could not imagine being like having been, been to a lot of festivals now. And like, even if I, if I was, if there was just so many kids that age, I, m- I remember like not being alone. It was, yeah. it was mostly like young teens mm-hmm. and, and shirtless sunburnt, drunk dudes yeah and uh and a lot of bros yeah a lot of bros especially san diego that's yeah. uh in bro country so. yeah yeah and i the warp yeah. tour is a magnet for the bros anywhere so i imagine in bro country there'd be a lot of bros oh yeah oh, yeah for sure 
what was it that draw, drew you to the Warped Tour? Was it just like, you know, like the cultural event of the summer type thing? Or is it something that you had kind of heard about and knew you wanted to go to it? It was, I, I think I had heard about it the year before. And me and, me and my buddy, uh, you know, begged and begged our parents to go. Uh, but it was, because it was, it was a, lot, a lot of the bands we were really into at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just Just through our through our videos and stuff um yeah i i remember it being being a big deal is something i was looking forward to for months before and like what's it gonna be like like what what seeing these bands seeing seeing bands at all yeah what's going on and uh yeah the the other part I remember is just getting so many stickers. Like there's so much swag, (laughs) so much swag. It's very important uh, to like line stick all over every, every deck you had. Well, really when you think about it in like a pre social media world, it was one of the few opportunities you could have to like market to people on mass, you know? Oh Yeah. Where where all sure. all their all their algorithms in a pre algorithm world were <laughs> were lining up, so you knew exactly what to market to them, like Monster Energy Drink, like <laughs> mm-hmm. stickers, mm-hmm. like they were like, okay, we know it works on these. Kids. <laughs> stickers worked for stickers for sure. worked. Yep. I was just I was just looking. Th- I found I found an old uh, skate deck, and I I was cleaning out my closet at my parents' house uh, a couple weeks ago found found all like the you know half scraped off afi and vlogging molly and uh no effect stickers all over it um (laughs) so they they really got me they really got me with the marketing for sure i also loved like the day after warp tour you know walking around the city and just like seeing a bunch of people wearing the exact same shirt you were wearing because (laughs) uh, we all did our summer shopping (laughs) yeah (laughs) we all we all thought we'd be the only one walking down the street in a Pennywise sweatshirt today, but oh you know. yeah, um, oh yeah. Where'd you go from the Warped Tour? Like after that, like you know, cast damaging experience aside, was that something you mm. were just like, this is something I got to pursue? Um, it was, it was, it was huge. I, I, I remember loving it and being, you know, uh, it was I. I and I didn't, I didn't feel like I had a lot of opportunities to see live music, especially like where I was, where I was growing up in Orange County um, mm. at the time, especially being like, you know, a young teen without a car. Um, there's just, unfortunately, like there's no, there's no real outlet to go, go and see these bands yet. Um, so I, I just, I just chugged along like, uh, collecting those records and trying to, you know, finding, finding gravity, starting to gravitate towards friends who are more, who are clearly more in, as, as, as into the music as I was, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I had, I was, I was definitely like way more obsessed and found something that, that a lot of my, a lot of my buddies didn't. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't really until, it wasn't really until high school that I kind of uh, started to started to find, like I said earlier, like the uh, 
like these pop punk bands influences mm-hmm. and uh and finding finding like the i didn't i didn't really find the punks at school until uh until i was about 17 or so and then uh but then but then i, I you know i started uh there was a lot of there's a lot of like black flag and uh minor threat and, and bad brains uh late like late when i was 17 18 i started connecting with that kind of stuff what about um, like the hostage records kind of beach punk stuff of the 90s was that still going or at all oh i wasn't i i wasn't really tapped into that like what 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 bands were i'm, I'm trying to think some of the names of the bands now but there was like this whole like i remember going to there for the first time it would have been i guess the the mid 2000s and just going to like there's a bunch of cool record stores out there. And I think like, are the stitches from out? Yeah. The, the stitches that they were huge. Yeah. They were, that was a huge, that was one of the first, that was one of the first like punk bands. I, I definitely connected with and, uh, um, and they're killer skate, too. Skate around too. Yeah. You know, I, I, I have a, I was, I was going through my seven inches earlier. I have, what was their seven inch that gosh, they, they, uh, they still, they still rip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's the other thing that's like, you know, running, I get with concurrent with the more epifat sounding stuff is this sort of more traditional kind of, uh, 77, uh, approach to punk rock thing. That was also, you know, just once again, I'm coming from someone outside just as a record collector. Like I remember getting all these 45 of bands that were like stitches, you know, affiliated with or, uh, somehow connected to. And it just seemed like there was like also like a real sort of traditional or more traditional kind of punk scene happening at the same time. Yeah, sure. Um, I, th- I think during the same time was, do you remember the distraction? Oh yeah. 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 I think that was, that was a similar scene too. Um, yeah, that stuff, the, that stuff really connected with me. And I think that was, that was when I started, that that's kind of a bridge like starting to get away from the um from more of the pop punk stuff to like you said the more traditional kind of 77 stuff um but i mean i unfortunately i wasn't really i wasn't really in any i wasn't really in any scene when i was that young Mm -hmm. i wasn't i wasn't going out to shows or anything um i was more just just kind of whatever whatever get passed to me through friends and uh whatever they're playing in their whatever you know cassette they're playing in their car their car uh started started branching out that way getting more interested in stuff and where were you getting your like cds and, and records at this point uh where that's a good question uh i haven't thought about that but I, I would, uh, like, you know, you get them from like Best Buy, just kind of, mm-hmm. there wasn't, I was, there was one, there was one cool punk record store in the town I grew up in, uh, in Laguna Beach, um, that there was, 
one one record store that I kind of wandered into maybe maybe around 17 18 mm-hmm. um right right before they closed down and got replaced by like a diamond like literally like a diamond <laughs> store <laughs> <laughs> like the most extreme yeah, exactly. uh, still to this day like the most most extreme uh i'm trying i'm trying to remember the name of that record store um i'm trying to remember too if i maybe went to it because I, I remember just going to la and just trying to like any record store i could find like we were just driving up and down yeah looking for any record store in every record store but it's it, and that's the thing. It's just there was so much more punk. It seemed like in Southern California than than you know back home. But you know, I think there's also just so much more population. Yeah, for sure. Um, and there was there, so there was that store. There was there was a store close to it called uh, Sound Spectrum. I ended up I ended up working at, but it was mostly like that was mostly like reggae CDs and stuff. Okay. Um, I think I've been to that CD store. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's still mostly <laughs> reggae stuff. You know, it's, it's weird. They're, they're as, as the store is getting older, they're getting more vinyl again. Yeah. 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 They started, they started way back in the early seventies, I think. And then, uh, went to all CDs and now it's, now it's coming back around to vinyl. Last time I stopped in there. Yeah, like it feels like every, you know, CD store I went to, especially the ones that used to frustrate me by the fact that they would only sell CDs are now, you know, vinyl only stores. Yeah. Yeah. It's a I I I'm liking that direction. It's interesting though. Yeah, it definitely is. It's interesting to watch it kind of come back around because it was, you know, like legitimately a dead format for tons of people. Yeah. For sure. What was the first, you know, local show when you were able to start going to local shows that you went to? So I, I, uh, a lot of my first shows, a lot of my first punk shows were, we would drive up to, we drive about, you know, an hour, an hour and a half to, to LA to the smell. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you've. Oh yeah. Definitely. Great. Yeah, for sure. Um, and at that time, at that time it was, it was bands like Mika Miko and uh, Meishi, Abe Vigoda, like No Age, um, kind of a kind of a nice. There, there was like a good variety of stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just and you know, it was just it was just the local place where like you could actually book a show and. Uh, if you're if you're a band with no you know it was it was the it was the place that that uh i kind of got tapped into and that that's eventually where i started like playing my first shows too um so i i got i got there i got there when i was like 18 it's the first time i like ventured up there and and saw yeah i think the first i think the first show i saw there was a band mika miko a great band. Unbelievable. Yeah. Band. Great band. It's, it's, it's amazing too. Like you're saying how none of those bands sounded the same, you know, they were all definitely punk bands, but they're total, totally unique approaches to it. Yeah. And that's, that's always, that's always what I've connected to with, 
with punk music, like going, even going back to the beginning of the conversation about Nirvana, like, mm-hmm. yeah, just, um, the, the, the truly punk thing to do is to not give a fuck what, you know, what genre or what the band is trying to sound like. It's more, it's more like the, the energy they bring and more the, uh, it's less, you know, it's like, it's less directly stylized than, than, um, you know, like a, a hardcore scene mm-hmm. or something. It was, it was more, uh, it was, it was just really open to like whatever weird, it was really weirdo music, you know? I was, yeah. I was really, I was really into like the weirdo, any, any variety that I, I'm still, I'm still that way. Like I, I love to go to shows where it's just three different completely weirdo bands that are going on their own you know finding their own way or just trying to trying to figure it out yeah yeah no that's and it's like it's it's something that's like a a real organic scene like they're just like a bunch of people coming together that just want to play music and they all are developing kind of their own way and no one's you're like you're saying there's no no rules no no sort of set forth like we're we're this kind of scene like everyone play this kind of kind of music now yeah um yeah it was really i i i I like that i liked the smell as a as a first place i connected with like i i feel like i got pretty lucky in that that's that's where i started going to my first shows um because it is very very inclusive as well like a truly nice like diy all ages punk scene Mm -hmm. um and eventually like you know that that was the first place i played that wasn't a house party um so i i don't know i i like i like that place a lot so after going to that show did you come back and form a band or did you have a band already by the time you were going to the smell no that was i, I probably it was it was around the same time i started seeing seeing these kind of bands where it it in the truest sense, it seemed like, you know, it, it seemed possible to mm-hmm. be in a band. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember, I was, I'm trying to remember the name of this local band, but, uh, oh, Sensitive Side. This, this, uh, this band called, this punk band called Sensitive Side had a, had a seven inch out. And I remember hearing the recording and being, uh, you know, it's a decent. I, I've heard it recently. It's a decent recording. But it's not. It's nothing insane, but just the uh, just the fact that a band had something on a on a seven inch and like made made it happen just completely yeah. blew my mind. Yeah, it might like, as well have been Pet Sounds or something. Yeah, <laughs> you could. I couldn't. I couldn't understand like how how it's possible to even record your own band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so we, yeah, it was around the same side around the same time. I started messing around with like, uh, I was, I was playing more like drums, just really bad drums and, uh, even worse guitar at the time. And we started, uh, I started messing around with the other few friends who also listened to the music that weren't, you know, whether or not they had any, any 
musical tendencies or skill at all. Mm-hmm. It was a true, truly like uh, whatever we could get together, whatever sounds we could make, and uh, and then I started. We started. We like I said, we didn't. There wasn't. Now, now in retrospect, I know there was a few venues close by in Orange County, uh, but it was it was nowhere that we could play other than the smell. So I, I started, uh, I started having parties like at my parents' house, like uh, shows essentially with, and it would be the maybe the fifteen people in our friend group like all switching off instruments and everybody's in everybody else's band (laughs) and everybody plays two or three songs because that's all you've written (laughs) because you've formed the band because the show is going to happen on saturday so like you need three songs and uh yeah we just started just started doing that and that was that was definitely around the same time I i remember seeing bands the smell and being like that that looks that's really cool but that doesn't seem impossible it doesn't seem impossible mm-hmm. at all yeah like it's a real dis- demystification process when you go to a DIY venue and you see kids doing it like it just it just feels so much more accessible like it's 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 truly like anyone can do this yeah you're not you know you're not seeing Marshall stacks yeah. like up on a big stage you're seeing a little practice amp on in a puddle on the floor, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, I could, I could find, I could find a $30 practice amp. So I can start a band too, you know? And I wonder if like the smell is like one of the last truly great DIY scenes that you're going to see just because it, it was able to develop kind of like relatively in secret in a time where I don't think that would happen now. Like, I think, I think it would be, the spot would be blown up a lot quicker and I don't think bands would have been able to find their sounds in the same way. You know, I don't oh, yeah. know. Yeah. I know you're, you're totally right. Like it would, uh, anything, anything like starting to be exciting. Every, everybody has the means to like spread everywhere Yeah. now immediately. Um, so there's no like gestation. There's no like hiding, you know, there's not like, it's not the same word of mouth of being like, Oh, I saw that I saw this band play their third show. Let's go see them play their fourth show. Cause they'll be a lot better. Yeah. You know, it'd be like, Oh, I saw their, I saw their first show. I saw 20 seconds of their first show on Instagram. Yeah. I've been watching um, their practice tapes for the last week on stories. So yeah. <laughs> pretty up on the yeah. songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, but you're, you're right. That um, the, the kind of the kind of lack of lack of blowing up uh the spot is is uh it it makes some more interesting music for sure Mm -hmm. so what was your first show uh or sorry did any of these first kind of like bands that were playing these house parties do they go on to do anything or was it really just for the sake of the party uh, it was mostly for the sake of the party, but the first, I'm, there was the first band that, um, played, we actually played our first show at, 
at my parents' house with, and we invited Mika Miko down from, from LA down to Orange County to play. Um, first band is called Charlie and the Moonhearts. Okay. Yeah. Um, we, we, we changed our name later to just the Moonhearts, but, uh, for a while we were Charlie and the Moonhearts. So we, we were one of those bands that played, we played three songs. I think we played our first song. We played it. We played our first song first and last. So we played it twice. (laughs) That's a punk tradition though, right? Like, yeah, you start the set with a song, your best song. Yeah. I, I, I think we just kind of, I, we hadn't heard of anyone else doing that. We just thought it was funny (laughs) and, and we had a lack of songs. So it kind of solved the problem, you know? Um, so that, that was the first band that we actually started, um, through, you know, honestly, it was, it was through at that time it was the, the way we were connecting to other bands was when MySpace came out. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we were kind of, we, we kind of took advantage of the, of that new kind of DIY way of doing things, of connecting with other bands. All, all of a sudden we weren't in our little, our, our little bubble burst. And we, we learned about other bands that would actually invite us to come play shows in, you know, Santa Ana or, uh, Fullerton, uh, orange, down just orange county like diy spots um so so moonhearts was a, our first band that kind of started started uh playing to people that we didn't know how much of the uh the sound evolved from like that first show like what was was it definitely kind of like that sort of surf sound that you kind of wound up with or was it a different thing in the beginning uh i'd say it was maybe even more surfy in the beginning. Okay. Like, um, it's kind of, kind of strange that, that band kind of, kind of evolved from a different band that was more maybe, maybe like no wave. I don't know. I don't know what the first band was like, it, but it had like, I was playing bass keyboards and there was another keyboard player. Whoa, playing. really? Yeah. So it's kind of like um, damage that Florida band or like a suicide kind of thing or we, we did love, we love suicide. Okay. For sure. And, uh, but it was, it was, it was strange music. Uh, and there was two kind of a Mika Miko influence. There was two female singers at a certain point, uh, that, that were just singing and it was a strange band. Uh, did you, record, did you guys then, record that incarnation or anything? I have I have some stuff on like a cassette. I, I got to look that stuff up, but um, we definitely never released anything. Okay, for sure. Um, but that that band kind of evolved into like uh, some people lost interest and kind of left the band, and then all of a sudden there were three of us, and it was uh, it was me, Charles Moonheart, and our buddy Roland. Um, and we started, we were really into garage punk at the time too, Mm -hmm. like garage rock in general and, uh, and surf rock too. Like it's, it's a cliche, but you'd hear 
you know, we're, we're in a surf town. We're in yeah. like, yeah, it's Southern California. Uh, so surf music was around and we, we thought it was cool. Well, I mean, we just love the guitar ripping aspect of it, I think. Um, so we, that was our first, that was our, the first band. We kind of, uh, kind of got some instrumentals together and then decided that we needed a singer, but we kind of, nobody wanted to sing until, and then I, I stepped up, I, I wrote a couple words. It's like, I'm going to try this. Can everybody, I'm going to sing over this demo. If everybody can like leave the house, not just leave the room, but <laughs> Actually you, have to leave leave, the house. you have to leave the house so nobody can hear me. Yeah. Um, and I'll show you, I'll show you guys later and we'll see if it works. Um, so yeah. And then we got, yeah, we got those three songs together and, um, played, played some house parties. And then, uh, that, that was the first band that actually started, you know, we started, we made a tape, um, to give her to, we dub, we like hand dub tapes to pass out at shows and hand painted them. And, uh, we, that's, that started the whole shebang for me with, uh, Charlie and the Moonhearts. And, but you, and also the seven inch came out pretty quickly thereafter, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we had a seven inch on this Italian label called goodbye boozy. Um, they, uh, and that was, that was also through, that was through the internet too. That was, uh, you know, we were, we were just kids in a basement and somehow this, this, uh, Italian guy that just loves, loves, uh, rock and punk and garage stuff like found, found it and um put out the seven inch it was amazing and that was uh and that was we i went to high school and had early friends with ty siegel so he was and he was the first person around us that kind of got interested in recording and trying to figure that stuff out mm-hmm. so so we made we made some recordings like at his parents house and uh yeah, he did a pretty good job, and then um, yeah, so that that started that started it all out. It's it's some of the same songs from that tape on that seven inch. Is it the same recordings, or is it a different session? Um, let's see. There, they were, yeah, they were this the same the same songs, I believe. Yeah, as it, the tape. Did you record it, or is it the same session? Do you know? No, I think it was the same session. Okay. I get I get a little confused because we like re-released a lot of songs on on various there was like various editions of early tapes and stuff that you know we were, we didn't know what we were doing. Yeah. So we were just <laughs> yeah. we had zero idea what to do or how to how to make things linear and organized at all. Uh, but but yeah, and then um, to get to get to the teen anger connection that was that was some of our early recordings too we uh we we had a split with with teen anger mm-hmm. um very very sloppy recording session we already had like a you had a record before that on television explosion records right telephone explosion records sorry right they um 
they put out a they put out a tape of ours. Um, we didn't we didn't have like a full length with them. Okay, though, but we did we did the split LP. Um, which, yeah, the uh, man, I remember the recording sessions for those were so sloppy and so <laughs> like, like I'm pretty sure that's the session that's the session where we just we recorded every single song we'd ever we'd ever written just in one in one day uh in a basement in san francisco and just getting drunker and drunker and like (laughs) then more and more gang vocals like as the night went on every song all of a sudden had gang vocals you know and any anyone who was just there hanging out with us jumped on there um that's that was really fun um but but yeah so we we did that split with teen anger which was which is cool was that connection made just once again through the internet or had you had you guys toured at this point we i've i mean we talked on the internet we did we we played with them gosh i can't remember if it was before or after that uh before or after the first tape that we played with them and um but yeah, we definitely, we definitely like as it took us, a, it took us a long time to like get, get all the way out there. Mm-hmm. Um, as, as it does, you know, it took us a, a couple West coast tours and pretty far away, but. Oh yeah. Don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's much more desirable for anyone where we're from to get out to the West coast too. It's just like. Weed's legal everywhere. The weather's nicer. <laughs> Mexican Very food is nice. incredible. Like, yeah, this it is true. It's, it's it's true. It's it's a lot of a lot uh, of draws. There's, yeah. there's a reason I'm a reason I'm still down here. Yes, of course. Um, but yeah, it took us a while to get up there. But um, once we did, we became quick friends. And, uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure we started talking to them like through email and stuff and then and then maybe maybe release something before we actually met in person but the the timeline's a little blurred for me there actually also back to uh goodbye boozy records what a discography that label has it's like a a really cool label like you know like just you know obviously you do other stuff with that label later on as well but yeah, you know, from from King Con to like VD to like Red Mass, just like man, a, yeah, a really he, good year. He was really he was really on to something like from his from his uh, control center and uh, <laughs> shoot, I forget I forget the city he was in, but in Italy, see, in Italy. Yeah. I mean that was that was all we knew. That was all that was. None of us had ever been out to Italy for for years and years and years but yeah he had a great he had a great ear and found some bands that were down to do like all mostly all like 300 run black and white covered mm-hmm. uh seven inches which is really cool like like i was saying i was like going through seven inches before and i have a ton i was i was surprised how many like buddies he released and how many how many just like really cool records that guy had released mm-hmm it's always amazing when you find like I don't know it, it fascinates me when you find a label where someone's just like 
gone out and found bands from all over the world. Like, it's not like they're just at one scene picking the bands out, which is, you know, like we were talking yeah. about with uh, the smell, like it would be easy to start a label and just be like, I'm just going to sign all these bands, but to kind of sure. go around the world and just do it with different bands. I don't know. I'm, I'm always fascinated by people that have that kind of like curator mentality with their label. Yeah. That's it's, it's pretty amazing. And it, it, um, I really appreciate it because it kind of put a fire under our ass of like, um, you know, it's actually possible. Mm-hmm. It seemed, it seems so impossible to, to have even anything more than like a, a hand dubbed cassette or a, or a CDR of your music to give to people like to have a seven inch record was so, it was so life changing. It was yeah, it was like I spent so much time on the artwork for the first one, for uh, you know the first Charlie and the Moonhearts Goodbye Boozy release. Like, is very simple, but just like did you know we had a photo shoot for it, and we like <laughs> found somebody to do cool type, a cool handwritten typeface, and all this you know all this stuff. It was it was the biggest deal. Yeah, well, it's just, sure. it makes it real. Like the seven inch, like, I don't think I was ever in a real band until I had a seven inch out. Yeah, until it, it felt, it felt incredible. It was still, like, I can still remember, like, the, uh, it was beyond Christmas morning when I, yeah. when I got those in the mail. Like, it was unbelievable. And yeah, like, it's still, I still get that feeling whenever I get a record that I played on and for the first time, like, I can't believe I did this. I'm on a fucking record. Yeah, or like a test press even. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, whoa! I can. It it sounds it sounds kind of like the other records I like. You know? <laughs> exactly. And it, it it works the same way. It's on the same turntable. I'm going to be able to file it in between two bands in my record collection. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be part of the canon now. Yeah, it's 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 an it's an incredible feeling, and it it truly it it like helped us. Not not that we had ambitions to like take over the world as that band. Mm-hmm. We were just we we're just doing every step like one one at a time because because the seven inch was impossible until it just happened from like this kind man in Italy, and then <laughs> uh, and then we're like, oh, we can do this again. Let's put another seven inch out. And like if we have if we have a couple of these, maybe we can tour and sell stuff and like make the gas money and actually get our play to people outside of our like one hour radius around our house, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, is that what you started doing then? I guess at that point, like you, you, you know, you're, you played the smell, but like it's trying to get up and play, I guess the Gilman and to, to play like, you know, um, the Casbah, I guess like all on all these other kind of venues. Yeah, venue. I mean, I I never got to play Gilman actually. Um, you still haven't played the Gilman? No. What? The, no. Well, we got to. I know. You got to start a band just to do that now. You got to. I know. I know. I know. I know. It, it's 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 crazy, but I mean, there were uh, venues like that. I remember. Yeah. There was all these. There was all these like really short-lived DIY venues in Orange County around the time we were playing. I. Remember one called the clinic that had a good maybe year or so, and that was like the longest of any venue. I remember playing in a storage unit. A storage unit. Yeah, that 
thinking thinking back that's that was a weird show like how did how did that happen at yeah. all it was it was just straight up straight up a storage an outdoor <laughs> storage place with the door open and we just played in there and uh that was they had a venue name and everything man uh, uh, well it did survive to more than one show i guess then i i went there twice okay i, I think it it probably had like three shows total but it, how it had more than one was beyond me yeah there's there's like you know it's amazing the ingenuity of DIY yeah like just like <laughs> the hermit crab kind of nature of like let's just do a show in this porta potty like anywhere there's a space and a plug to plug in people yeah, on shows you just need an outlet and like 10, 10 people 10 people <laughs> you got a show yeah um, but we started we started playing you know, we, we started playing house parties in different cities, essentially. It's mm-hmm. like how we started touring. Like, I remember we drove, we drove all the way up. We drove like the 14 hours from San Francisco to Portland to play, to play in a, in a basement. Um, there was, yeah, there was maybe 10 people there, but we were, we were completely happy to do it. Cause they said we could like crash on the floor and, they'll pass a bucket around for some gas money. And, uh, yeah. So we, we just started playing house parties in different, in different cities. And then, uh, eventually venues, but it was a lot of house parties. What were the kind of bands you were playing with? Like what were, you know, the, the scene you were a part of, like, you know, obviously teen anger and stuff like that, but I mean like closer to home with other bands that were kind of doing the same sort of thing. Um, yeah, there were, there were a few, there are a few different like kind of um, iterations. I had I had Moonhearts for a while, but then we started other bands. I had a band called Party Foul that played a lot in Southern California. Um, and then there there's another band called Okie Doki a little later in my life that was like a kind of a drum machine hardcore-ish punk band. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, there uh, over the years, a lot of a lot of um, yeah, we just uh, um, there was uh, by the time by the time I got up to San Francisco, we were playing a lot with like the OCs and Sick Alps and Fresh and Onlys mm-hmm. and stuff. Uh, but there. There are a lot of really like short-lived bands that we that we came up with, but um, not not a ton that um, not a ton that are still doing it. I remember playing a playing a playing an Orange County show with uh, uh, God. Why am I blanking on their name? Um, never mind. <laughs> I'm. I'm blank. I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the on the names right now. Um, Sorry about that. No, no don't, do, do, do not worry. That's the thing about this show. It's like an information dump. Like I'm just coming at you <laughs> for so much information at once that, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> don't That's understand. great. I I have like a terrible memory. I'm just I'm just trying to, yeah. No, I I definitely. Uh, 
you know, I have a better memory for other people's stuff than my own, but that's because I think <laughs> cannabis lends itself to that. Like a lot less self-reflection, a lot more external reflection. Oh, sure. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, it's, it's amazing how, when you look at your discography, how many records you've put out, like, you know, like you, you're like, you've done so much stuff. You're like, you're, do you consider yourself prolific? I, I think, I think I hang out with such prolific people that I feel really lazy. <laughs> yeah, you get that. Like, like hanging out with like Ty Siegel or John Dwyer, the OCs yeah. and, uh, like Tim Presley of white fence. Like I, I mean, if I, if, if I look at a list of the stuff over the years, it, it does it does look like a lot, but it doesn't. It feels like I could do a lot more. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, it doesn't feel too crazy to me, but I, I I feel really lucky to like. It's amazing that once you know once a like goodbye boozy seven inch started that that kind of gives you momentum and legitimate legitimacy to kind of put out more records or have somebody else like oh you have a seven inch on this label like will you put one out on my label sure yeah of course and just taking taking like every opportunity possible basically and uh i don't know just it's it's fun to it's fun to make records so i'll I'll make as many as i can possibly make for sure Mm mm-hmm yeah, like when it's also like you're saying, once you put out a record, you're part of it. You know, you're like, you're a real band. Like you're as real as any band ever was. Like with a record out. That's right. Yeah. If it, it it feels great. There's no, uh, still no, still no better feeling sometimes than like getting that getting that in the mail and like uh, feeling, yeah, like you said, like stashing it between. I'm trying, I'm looking at my record collection, trying to see like who I'm stashed next to. <laughs> uh, it's all disorganized right now, but you know, um, it's, if it, it feels real, it feels, it feels great. And, uh, yeah, it's really like, plus it, it'll give you, give you something to hand to your parents to be like i haven't been wasting all my time i mean yeah, i've been wasting i've been wasting most of my time but <laughs> I, I did i did something well but yeah, it's I real think, well and well like you were saying earlier like do you think you know once you do have that tangible record and you're able to show your parents do you think they had a greater understanding for what the music you were kind of pursuing was like you know i'm talking about way back when when you did that first seven inch yeah a little bit i think i think they were impressed uh they were they were impressed that it was like a they hadn't seen a vinyl record in a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they they were impressed they were impressed on that aspect of it, but um, I mean it took understandably it took a while for for my parents to like kind of catch up as as I got like more melodic and less sometimes less noisy mm-hmm. as as the years progressed. Like uh, it's kind of a kind of an an X on the graph where like, uh, their, their understanding and appreciation is, uh, with over time is a little, a little greater and greater, but, um, yeah, I was thankful to have parents that like were supportive, even if they didn't understand at all. They're like, I can't hear the words, you know, (laughs) that was, that was always the thing. Like, I can't understand the words. It's like, that's because I, 
sang through an amp with a delay pedal and like it sounds like shit that's why you can't understand because i don't want you to hear the words uh but yeah so it took a while but like it it um yeah they're on board yeah um, did you like it's, it's been a while since you've done like a solo record was that like a thing you wanted to step away from and work on other projects or is it like just you know once again like how stuff comes out naturally or yeah i i didn't you know i didn't want to force anything mm-hmm. and i was i was keeping busy with like oh other specifically, stuff yet. yeah specifically with like ty siegel touring and and uh rec- starting to like record with him on that stuff and doing other stuff but um yeah it was it was really like i you know there was there was a long period of like block of like writer's block of my own i couldn't i couldn't put my name to like the music i was making or there's there was a long period of that and then uh before i knew it it was like a few years later and i i hadn't put out a record in a while and then um you know, it, I think I was, I was appreciative to have a lot of other stuff to fill my time with, like between, between the records, but, um, and to, you know, gain experience and like, uh, I, I've always, I've always liked like keeping a, keeping a heavy variety of stuff um, that's going on. Mm-hmm. Keeps it way more interesting to me to like have a few bands going on at the same time or, uh, especially if like the sounds are significantly different and the styles are different. Absolutely. How, how do you know then that it was time? Like, did you sit down and be like, okay, now it's time to write uh, something under my name or is it just a song that, you know, you're like, this is, this is what I've been looking for. Yeah. It was, you know, it was a song or two that kind of reluctantly came out of, of me. Um, mm-hmm. Now it's like, Oh, okay. I can, I can see, I can see this, like, I can see this continuing and like, uh, I, I, I can see a through line. Like I, I can connect this song to the next song. And, uh, I, I like to write records like that where I like, where I'm, I have the, I'm getting the, the track listing in my head, like as I'm writing it, you know, yeah. Yeah. like you, now I need, now I should work on the first song. I should work on the last song. And, uh, so it was just it was just a couple songs that that I've been working on for a while that finally came together into something that um, set set the set the pace, I guess. And well, then, uh, both are gone. No, you got it. Um, I was just gonna say, like, this has been it's been awesome to be able to catch up with you, and I, I've kept you for a while. And at some point in the future, would you come on and do a part two? Oh yeah, dude, absolutely, man. Well, it, it's been uh, awesome. Time flew. Yeah, time flew. You know, that's the that's the thing. When I'm punishing you about all these <laughs> facts and details from your past, and like the interrogation's over before you know it. <laughs> no, no interrogation is great. Um, well, it's great to connect with you again on dry land. Yes, and, and hopefully it's not so long, and uh, we'll do that part two. No, it'll it'll be a. Uh, it won't be. It won't be a few years. It'll be a. Uh, we'll 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 talk soon. thank you michael for coming on the show and you heard right there michael will be back for a part two 
at some point in the near future. And I am very excited about that part two. But speaking of being excited, next week on the show, it's a huge one. It is a massive, massive guest next week on Turned Into Punk. It is Chris Caraba of Dashboard Confessional Superstardom. He is going to be on the show to discuss what it's like to go from, um, you know, like a, a member of the Florida punk scene, like a, a massive scene, to being the massive star of a of the face of emo, basically. We get into all of it next week. This is an incredible episode. Strongly recommend you checking it out. Um, and that's it. I will see you next week. Go out there and make your own culture. Sign your organ donor cards. Please do that because it, it, it does work. You know, it really does help someone live a life when you don't really need that stuff anymore. You know, to, to put it really immaturely but anyway sign your organ owner cards and uh that's it i will see you next week stay safe make your own culture i love you bye